I hate to be the bearer of bad news, but I cannot get away from the text that we've been looking at for four weeks now. I just keep coming back to it. Uh, and it's a teachable moment. It's a, it's a good moment because um, one of the cool things about um, Scripture is that uh, the, the truth that's there, the, the depth of reality, it's so deep, it's so rich that you can keep coming back to it over and over and it can keep speaking to our lives. Um, today, I want to uh, just notice something interesting about um, our text, the same text that we've been in, something that we may have missed um, before. And I, and I want to look at it and, 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 and try to, to help us understand um, a little bit about the nature of God and why that matters to us. Um, a lot of times we, we think that, you know, truth, like, okay, truth is, is good and we're all about truth and, and we, and we want to we wanna find out the truth and know the truth. But a lot of times then we, we, we're like, okay, now what? You know, it's, it's, not like, it's not like arithmetic, okay? When you find out that two plus two equals four, that has immediate application in your life. Uh, immediately you are able to say, oh, I have $2 here and I have $2 there. That means I can put them together and I can afford something of $4. That is like the kind, that's the kind of truth that we all want. It's the truth that is just, it's ground level, it's serious, it's easy to understand, it's easy to, to recognize how it applies in our lives. Sometimes though, sometimes though, there are truths that just don't seem to have any meaning at all. Um, I took calculus uh, in high school, and apparently calculus is, is the, the way in which that we find the area underneath a curve, and I've never used that in my entire life. I have completely forgotten calculus uh, because I've never had a curve, and I'm like, I wonder, I wonder how much space is underneath that. I just, I need some differentials to figure that out. However, I do understand, I do understand there are some people here um, typically type A people who have used calculus in their lives because they're engineers. Um, and so, and they, so they actually need to, this, this truth that seems like a waste of my time is actually really important if you want to make sure that you're able to create the things that you've been called to create. And so what it turns out is that, that all truth is useful. All truth matters. It's just sometimes hard to figure out how. And so I want to lead us into uh, some, a truth today that, that is, it seems abstract, but it's actually really totally affects your life today. It can change your life today. So here's the question I want you to be thinking about um, a little bit. I want you to be thinking about whether or not you are a type A or type B person. I just mentioned the type A people here have probably learned some calculus and used it. I know we've got a lot of uh, type A people in this church because I think uh, about 36% of the congregation is a CPA or an accountant. Um, and yeah, our finance committee is just loaded. <laughs> like, like we got more and more. And the thing is, they're not even using all the resources. They could, uh, draw, uh, Kristen Livingston, they could draw on my mom. Like, there's a lot of extra um, nerdery that's available uh, for our congregation to get to. And we just, we have too much of it. We have extra nerds uh, in this congregation. And for people like myself, I'm, I'm more of a type B person. Um, I mean, type A people, wow. <laughs> you guys are real squares. Uh, yeah. And I'm not going to, I don't want to knock it too much. I do understand the value. I'm married to a type A person. And I appreciate, and I understand without type A people, there probably wouldn't, you know, be food on the table, um, plans and vacations. Uh, the, the dog would not get fed. Um, the room would look like it is. I get it. Type A people are important. 
Here's what I'm going to say today. Today, by the end of this sermon, you will understand why type A people are totally wrong about everything and why type P people are the best. A little bit self-serving, I know. I, I'm just kidding. I'm kidding. But, but, do, but do think about that. And so here it is. Here it is. Um, we're going to be talking about the doctrine of the Trinity today. And I want to ask the question, what difference does the Trinity make? What difference does the Trinity make? The Trinity is the kind of thing that Christians throughout the centuries have confessed. It's been um, a part of, of Christian doctrine since the very beginning of the church. Um, we see it in, in, in Paul. We're going to see it in John. The Trinity is there. It's real. It's a true thing. But is it like, is it like arithmetic where it, immediately you understand um, how, how valuable it is? Or is it a little more like calculus where you gotta, you got to have some special application. Then you start to get to understand the value of Trinitarian theology. So let's, uh, let's read. Uh, what, what doesn't look like a Trinitarian text at all together. In this we know that we have come to know him if we obey his commands. So anyone who says, I have come to know him while disobeying his commands is a liar and the truth is not in such a one. But the one who obeys his word, truly in such a person, the love of God, God's love for that person has reached its goal. By this we know that we are in him. The one who says, I am still in him, ought to walk just as he walked. Look at all those pronouns. Him, his, him, his, his, him, him, he. Who's John talking about? Uh, if, okay, we're Protestants, so um, when you're growing up in a Bible church, there are three correct answers to every question. The first answer that you try is God, the second one that you try is Jesus, and the third one you try is the Bible. And if you, and if you throw those out quickly, you're almost guaranteed to get the right answer. Um, so God, Jesus, Bible. If we were a Pentecostal church, we'd have to throw in the Holy Spirit, because he's moving over there in, in some exciting ways. Um, but for our church, it's a God, Jesus, Bible thing. And I, yeah, okay, God, Jesus, the Bible. Probably one of those, right? And when we say God, typically we're referring to the Father, right? The Father, um, the Father, ancestral God of the Israelites, Yahweh. God is the Father. Um, and then when we talk about Jesus, we're referring to uh, God's Son, uh, Jesus, the second person of the Trinity. Um, so, so probably, probably uh, the he's and the hymns and the his's are referring to one of those. So let's look. Let's, let's check it out. Is it, is it the Father? He equals the Father. Let me let me argue for uh, for this for a second. Um, look at a, a couple of texts. In that last text, you'll notice that we're supposed to keep his commands. His commands. And one of the things that we've been talking about over the last several weeks is that the commands are actually defined for us later on in First John. And here it is. Um, and this is his commandment. That we should believe on the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and love one another as he gave us commandment. Well, clearly here, he, his, is the father, right? The father, his son, Jesus Christ. You couldn't have, uh, you, you couldn't replace his with Jesus, and this is Jesus' commandment, that we should believe on the name of Jesus' son, Jesus Christ. That didn't make no sense. So it's got to be here in, uh, when, we're, when, when John's talking about uh, commands and the commandments, it's got to be the father, Interestingly, um, in, in John, in the Gospel of John, um, we find that all of the commands uh, ultimately come from the Father. Um, check out this text. This is um, Jesus speaking. He says, For I have not spoken on my own authority, but the Father who sent me gave me a command, what I should say and what I should speak. And I know that his command is everlasting life. Therefore, whatever I speak, 
Just as the Father has told me, so I speak. There are times uh, in the Gospel of John when Jesus gives commands, but they're always ultimately sourced in the Father. Whatever the Father has told him to speak, that's where the commands come from, then Jesus speaks those commands. And so we have more good reason to think that in our text, um, when it says uh, if we obey his commands, we have good reason to think that this is the Father, that he equals the Father. Uh, one last uh, text, this is also from, from 1 John, this is later, and you'll see it again. By this we know that we love the children of God, when we love God and keep his commandments. For this is the love of God that we keep his commandments, and his commandments are not burdensome. In the New Testament, when the word God gets used, it refers to the Father, ancestral God, Yahweh. In fact, when the word Lord gets used... Um, it's usually referring to Jesus. And so there's a difference in the New Testament. Every time you see God, you can kind of think in your head, Father. When you see the word Lord, you can kind of think Jesus, and you'll be, um, you'll be getting a, a good look. And so it seems then really clear that he equals the Father in this text, in our text. Look at this. In this we know that we have come to know him if we obey his commands. Anyone who says, I have come to know him while disobeying his commands is a liar, and the truth is not in such a one. But the one who obeys his word, truly in such a person, notice that, God's love, so Father's love has reached its goal. By this we know that we are in him. So, done deal, we've got that figured out. Uh, no problems, except, except, if that's right, then there's something weird about this text. There's something weird about the way that it ends. If he and him and his is the Father, it's God the Father, then there's something strange about the way this text ends. And so maybe it's actually the case that he equals the Son. Maybe that's the case. This is uh, the very beginning of 1 John. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, we have looked upon, our hands have handled concerning the word of life. This life was manifested, we've seen, we're testifying, we declare to you the eternal life which was with the Father and was manifested to us. Notice the physicality of this statement. It's the very beginning of, of, of the uh, first John. We have heard, we've seen, we've touched, we've looked at. Well, clearly that's Jesus, right? Jesus is the one who's physical, who's dear, who's here, he's present. Uh, he was with the Father, now he's manifest, he's appeared, he's been with us as a person. We've walked and talked with him. And then notice the end of our text for today. The one who says, I am still in him, ought to walk, just as he walked. Again, we see the physicality, the, the walking. God's not the one who does the walking. In fact, last week, our whole sermon was on the fact that, that Jesus walks means Jesus is on a mission. He came to, to accomplish something, to, to bring salvation and forgiveness of sins. Jesus was doing something. He was here physically. And so when John says, he walked just as he walked, we ought to do the same thing. He's saying we ought to be imitating Christ in some very specific ways. We've got to be on mission too. And that's a problem. Because now we have a contradiction. We know that he equals the Father. We know that he equals the Son. And we know that the Father does not equal the Son. Uh, to demonstrate this, if you don't believe me, um, when, when Jesus is on the cross, he was being crucified. The Father was not being crucified. In fact, on the cross, Jesus says, Eli, Eli, Sabachthani, my God, my God, Father, why have you forsaken me? Clearly, the Father is not the one being crucified. Uh, moreover, in that text that we just looked at, Jesus said, the Father sent me, sent the Son. 
Well, clearly, if he sent the son, then the son is not sending himself. The one who sends is the father, not the son. They're not exactly the same. They're distinct. And how? How do we make sense of that? How do we make sense of this? Um, I think what I want you to take, uh, there's only two things in your note sheets today, and, and that's because I'm not sure what's going to be most valuable for you. In fact, in a little bit, we're going to have something you can sketch if you want, a picture to help you, to help you uh, with, with some of the, the, the stuff in the, in the sermon. But um, the, the first thing I do want us to know is this, and I think this is actually the secret um, to most of experience in life. I think this is so important that once you get to understand it, once you get to own it in your heart and your mind, you're going to have your life changed today, and you're going to have uh, your understanding of the whole universe changed as well, and that is this. The one and the three are the mysteries key. The one and the three are the mysteries key. How is it possible that the father is not the son and yet he equals he equals he equals he? Um, I, think I, I think I have a picture of the general. There he is. This is the general. Um, I haven't seen this in a long time, but um, when I used to pretend like I was sick so I didn't have to go to school, um, I would stay home. I would wait until I knew my mom was going to be going to a client. And I'd be like, oh boy, throat really hurts. I know you can't see it, but uh, yeah, I know I've got to stay home. And uh, I would watch those uh, reruns of uh, I Love Lucy they used to play in like the 90s. And after I Love Lucy or in the middle of it, um, this guy would show up. And I, apparently he's supposed to convince me to buy insurance. I don't I don't know how that works. I don't know like, why I would be like, oh, this is the guy. He looks to me um, like uh, if Monopoly were about violence, this is, this is who would be, our, would be the Monopoly guy. That's, I, anyway, so I don't, if you have the general insurance, I'm sure it's great, and I'm not knocking it, uh, but maybe a little bit. Um, the general, the, the general when, so imagine a story here. Here's the story. The story is, is that the general is looking at uh, the situation on the ground, and the enemy's tanks keep coming in and attacking his troops, and the general says, this has got to stop. I have got to fix this. And so he's looking and he's thinking, how can I stop all these tanks? And he realizes, ah, I know. Tanks run on fuel, petroleum. I know that the enemy, deep behind their lines, has a petroleum depot. And if I could blow that up, then all the tanks would stop coming. Now, if you know anything about generals, you know that generals don't do it themselves. They, um, they comfortably sit behind a desk. They fill out paperwork. They ask other people to go do the dirty work, um, and which is why uh, we should very highly prize our, our enlisted friends um, in the military. But so they need this guy. They need this guy to come, the greatest of all agents. Uh, this is James Bond, Daniel Craig. Um, I mean, some people think that there are other James Bonds. In my, in my world, there's only him. Uh, when he came out, it just changed my world. And he, what's, he's, what's cool about uh, Daniel Craig is that he's, like, he's really serious about his mission. He's really angry and brutal. And so he just gets the job done. The general is going to need the agent to go blow up the fuel depot. Right? The general's going to direct. He's going to tell, this is the plan. This is what we're going to do. And then the agent is going to take care of business. I know some of you don't recognize him as 007. You prefer this guy. Oh, so dreamy. Here's the thing, I, you know, okay, all right, there's two James Bonds, uh, Roger Moore, no, George Lazenby, um, and then, uh, what was, oh, Timothy Dalton, oh my, Pierce Brosnan, give me a break, Pierce Brosnan was a joke, that guy was way too goofy to be James Bond, the, Daniel Craig is serious, what's cool about John Connor is that he can kind of take like the, uh, he, he's classy, and he really enjoys being James Bond. 
That's what's fun about him. He's like, you can tell this guy loves the life of being a secret agent. Uh, he gets to do all the things that uh, he probably shouldn't, but nevertheless finds to be a lot of fun with no consequences. Anyway, uh, so he, he's the agent. He's the one who receives the plan. He's sitting there with the general. He's like, I'm going to take care of business. I'm going to go do it. So imagine that uh, Sean Connery or Daniel Craig, your favorite 007, He's on a mission to blow up the fuel depot. He crawls behind enemy lines. He's, he's super suave. He's super, uh, he's, you know, he's doing it right. No one sees him. He gets there. He's at the fuel depot. There's this huge, huge fuel depot. And he looks at it and he's like, what do I need right now? He needs the C4. He's got to have the C4. If he doesn't have the C4, the explosive, he can't do anything. He can't make it happen. He can't get it done. I mean, he can look at it. He carries a PP7. I mean, it's, it's nothing. It's a pea shooter. He needs something really. He needs something serious. He needs C4, an explosive. Now, you may have guessed this is a way that we can start to think about he and his and him being the same and yet the father and the son being distinct. The general, like the father, directs and comes up with a plan. He wills. The agent, like 007, is like the son, the word. He executes the will of the father. He gets it done. He's the one who, who goes and is sent by the father. And yet, he can't do anything if he doesn't have the power, the explosives to blow up the fuel depot. He needs the C4. He needs the Holy Spirit who empowers or who brings and provides the power. This is the second thing on your note sheets. The second thing on your note sheets is that the Father is the one who directs. The Son is the one who executes. And the Spirit provides the power. Um, just for a moment, let's... Let's look at our, at our text uh, one more time and, and, just, and just see it. I think it's the previous slide, Marilyn. Marilyn. Um, notice this. We obey his commands. That's the Father, right? And, and the one who's walking, who's doing it, who's accomplishing the mission is the Son. We could multiply these examples um, if, if you'd like. Um, you can talk to me at any time and I can show you more and more examples of, of how the Spirit uh, empowers, how the Son executes, and how the Father wills or directs throughout the New Testament. And really, I would say even in the Old Testament as well. But things get weird here. Because in my little example, there were three entities, right? The general, the agent, and the C4. That's not how the Trinity works. You see, it's not like there's three gods, right, who are all doing their own thing. Instead, we say there's one and three, one and many. How might that take place? Well, uh, one way that we can think about it is this. Um, the way that when the, when, the, when the general is willing or directing, he only wills according to the wisdom of the Spirit. And the things that he wills are in keeping with the nature of the Son who is always self-giving love and is never anything different than that. When, when the son executes, he only executes the will of the father and never un anything else. He doesn't execute any other will. He only executes that, that will. And when he does it, he can't do anything unless it's the spirit working through him in self-giving power to get it done. Likewise, the spirit doesn't do anything except for the will of the father, which is the wisdom of the spirit. And he only does it through the son. Have you noticed this? We call ourselves the body of Christ. Do you know why that is? Why that's in the New Testament? It's because when the Lord ascends, the church is his body. It's the church that does the Father's will. And now the church executes because we're united to Christ. And the Spirit empowers us to be him to the world. 
That's why we're the body of Christ. We are being, in some very real way, Jesus to the world. And so it's this weird dichotomy. It's, it's not that there's three beings. It's not that there's only one being. Well, there is one being, but he's in three persons. They have distinct relationships. And yet, and yet, and yet, and yet, what does that have to do with being type A? And here's what we got, right? The Father is not the Son, who's not the Spirit, and yet they're all God. That's kind of cool. If you wanted to sketch that, you could. But I, the, one, the one I'd really sketch if I were you is the next one. Right here. I love this. This is a, classic, um, a classical piece of art that tries to capture some of the truth of the Trinity. If you, uh, and you put your finger on that bottom left corner, and you start to go, you notice that you go over... Um, that first line, and then you go under the second line until you get to the top, and you keep tracing, and you go over that first line and under that second line until you hit that point in the bottom right, and then you go over the first line and under the second line. It's one, and yet it's clearly three. It's one piece, uh, this is a, a piece of metal, it's one piece of metal, and yet there are three distinct elements to that metal. It's all of a piece, and yet it has distinction. What does this have to do with the Trinity? What difference does the Trinity make? Let's just say, let's just say for a second that this is all true. I mean, it's kind of crazy, a little bit impossible to comprehend. I mean, we can't, this is a true fact. Just so you know, every time you pray, you're being a little bit of a heretic. Yeah, true. Because you're never going to be truly praying to a triune God because you can't conceive of it in your own mind. It's, it's, it blows the mind. It's, it's beyond the mind. But let's just say it's true. Let's just say that this is the God who creates the universe. What might this universe look like? Let's just say that God is like this and God is the one who creates the universe. What kind of place might we be living in? I have uh, some questions. Here's a question. This first one right here. Uh, is the future set in stone, or is it open to many possibilities? Hmm. Well, John Calvin said it was set in stone because God wills from eternity everything that's going to happen. So that, that's it. And yet, and yet uh, John Wesley said that um, we can do anything. We have free will. Uh, some of our scientists say that um, from the moment of, of the start of everything, everything was set in stone. It was, it was all figured out because of physics. At the macroscopic level, physics have determined everything that's going to take place. Other scientists say that at very large macroscopic levels and very microscopic levels, there are, there are elements of chaos and possibility such that the world, could, any, almost anything could happen, that the future is totally open. So some physicists say this, some physicists say that, some theologians say this, some theologians say that. Isn't it strange. Isn't it strange that some say there's only one possibility? Single, united, simple. And others say it's almost infinite. It's variety. There's diversity. There's possibility. Isn't that strange? And isn't it strange that God in himself, who he is, is both simple and one and yet three and distinct? Here's another question. What is most important? His needs, her needs, or the health of the marriage? Well, obviously his needs. Um, that's, like, clear. I mean, isn't, isn't that how it goes when Papa's not happy, nobody's happy? No, 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 I have that completely wrong. 
completely wrong. Backwards. Uh, think about this. So a marriage, or, and really, you, we don't even have to do marriage. Uh, it could be any relationship or set of relationships when you've got people together. You can say, all right, what matters the most? Is it this individual person? Is it this individual person? Is it the relationship as a whole? And intuitively, we all kind of know the answer to that is yes. Right? I mean, it's not as though if you, if, if you start focusing on his needs, well, she starts to feel neglected, the health of the marriage deteriorates. If you start to focus on, on her needs, everything's awesome. It's pre- Wait, no. Um, then he, he also start, starts to feel like he's not getting what he, and the marriage deteriorates. You can see that, that the, the very nature of, of the way marriage works is it's, there, there is no priority. There is no, this is the, that gets priority over this. Instead, it's the whole thing that must be addressed at all times. And again, this is impossible. Because in your mind, all you can really be focusing on is one of those things at a time. It's almost as if you're on a pendulum. And your marriage is over here where it's, it's all his needs, his needs, his needs. And you've got to swing over to, to try and catch some of her needs. But as soon as you do that, you, start, you stop thinking about the relationship as a whole. And you, and you come back to the middle. Lou uh, once told me, he said, um, mission first, people always. This is how you run an organization. Mission first, priority goes to mission, but people always. Think about that. Think about that that's impossible, right? Because it, you, you can't have the mission come first unless you're willing to let some of the people fall by the wayside. And you can't keep the people always unless you're willing to change and alter your mission. These are two things that cannot be held together. And yet, a successful organization must do both. The one and the many must be held in tension. I, for me, uh, individual rights and, and the community, I mean, uh, for those of you who have a libertarian or conservative political bent, you might think that, well, I, I think the most important thing is an individual's rights, human rights, right? And, and if the majority doesn't like that, well, the, the individual's rights can't be violated. One of the individual rights that we have in the United States of America is the right of property. I suggest to you, that if someone came along and invented a cure for cancer, like just pill, you take it, you're good. And that person was like, you know what? I'm just going to keep this to myself because it's mine. I made it. I think that most of us would be like, yeah, your right to property stops where, um, or ends where my cancer starts, you know? So it's almost as if there's this pendulum where, yeah, you want to say that individual rights matter, but also there has to be some kind of balance of of the many and and the needs of a community. It can't just be one or the other. And it feels like we're always moving back and forth, almost as if the very world that we live in is structured and created by a God who is one and three. Last question. Who's right? Type A or type B people. If you, I mean, think think about uh, your your typical type type uh, A person. I mean, wow. No, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna rip on them too much. That's that's no fun. Let's let's think about a typical type B person, um, like myself. Uh, one of the things I love about my job is that um, I get to just do my my schedule changes all the time. I never know what's gonna happen, and I love this. It's like it's fun. It's like wow, surprise, neat. Think, there's a problem, though, because uh, I can be going doing this, that, and the other thing, and suddenly I realize I haven't accomplished anything, 
right? Nothing actually got done. I went around, I was running around like a chick with my head cut off, having a very good time, but nothing got accomplished. Nothing took place because I was scatterbrained. Um, Another thing about type B people like myself, we tend to value um, things like variety and diversity and possibility, right? So um, sometimes I've noticed in my life, people will come to me and tell me what they're doing. You know, they're making their choices in their life. And in my mind, I'm like, wow, that's a really stupid thing to do. Um, and because I, I get this a lot because I'm a pastor, and so people tell me all the... And they, you usually know that what they're doing is dumb, and I don't know why they're telling me, but they do. And so I, and then I'm like, oh, okay. And what's so funny is I feel in my heart, this is a true fact, I feel in my heart a resistance to just telling them the truth, to just saying to them, no, what a terrible idea. That's absolutely wrong. Why? Because I value the possibilities of, of chance and, and, and desire and people living out different ways of doing things. And so I sometimes want to be too nice to sit there and tell them, no! Some of you type A people uh, tend to be very jealous for God's holiness. You have a very strong sense of, of the way the world is, what's right, what's wrong, what's sin, what isn't. Isn't it interesting how easy it is uh, for some type A people to become very critical of anyone who goes outside the lines a little bit, who almost judgmental, sometimes even really mean. So it's almost as if the, the grace and the mercy gets dropped off the side of the road uh, in the pursuit of what's good and right and holy. And then for people like me, it's like, oh, forget the what's right and holy. Let's just be gracious and merciful all the time and, and live it. And isn't it strange that God in himself is both? God has a very clear idea of what is holy, what is right, what is pure. It is one, it is simple, it is distinct, it is clear. And yet, God is also filled with grace and and mercy for those who stray off the path, draws them back, and never gives up on them. God somehow lives in the one and the many and does both together. The general, the agent, and the C4 are one, always. And yet, one and three. I want to suggest to you right now that wherever you are in life and whatever you're dealing with, whatever struggles or mysteries you're trying to to, to sort through, I want to suggest to you that the one and the three is the mystery's key. The one and the three is the mystery's key. If you can begin to conceive of the notion that, that there's a oneness and a simplicity to this, a unity to this, and yes, also a diversity and a variety and a difference to this, then you might begin to see where you are and where others are and where you need to swing in order to get a little closer to what God is like. For those of you who are type A, you probably need to relax a little bit. I know this um, because I've spent a lot of time with you. And as someone who's a professional at relaxing, you're terrible at it. You just drive me nuts. Like, just stop. Uh, I'm not going to name any names. Um, my mother-in-law, Jane, especially not. But, but, but slow down. Like, really and, and, you, and you type B people, oh, your ideas are so wonderful. Execute! Get it done! Like, focus for 35 more seconds and finish the job. Are you kidding me? 
Like, and I'm speaking to myself here. I'm not just, and it's, it's more than that. Those of you who are, are so certain of what God is like and how wrong everybody else is, have mercy on them. They need it. You need it. And those of you who are so into mercy and grace, tell the truth. Tell the truth about what is holy, what is good. The world needs it. We live in a culture, I don't want to get too far into the theory here, but, you know, 300 years ago, our culture was very much in the type A, singular, focused on one thing. We're all going to find the one true principle behind We have swung dramatically in the other direction. Our culture values above anything else diversity, tolerance, multiplicity, variety, and nothing that gets in the way of that is acceptable anymore. But that's dangerous. People's lives are being ruined because no one's saying to them, no, that's not it. Absolutely not. We've lost the oneness of the Godhead. And we've tried to focus on what he creates that's variety and difference and beauty in that sense. So here's what you can do today. You can walk out and you can think about the he's and the him's and know that there is one God. And you can walk out and you can know the general and the agent and the C4 and know that God is three. And you can look at your life and decide the places where you are too much one and not enough the other. And if you're really mean, you can tell others where they're too much of one and not the other. I should work on I should do that more. Like, that's what people want pastoral counsel for. To like, come on, fool. No, nah, that's not my style. I, like I said, type B. Very like, oh, cool, great, good, good thinking. Um, I'm going to be better about that, I promise. Uh, I, I really do try. Look this week. Look this week in your lives, in the lives of the people close to you. Look, and you're, you're wondering about the universe. And look for the one and the three, which is the mystery's key. Let's pray. Father God, you are the director. You are the planner. You are the willer. We confess that you execute that will in and through your Son, whose power is the Spirit. God, we confess your oneness in the midst of that. We confess further, God, that we are the body of Christ, that we are the ones who execute your will by the power of your Spirit in this place and on this earth. God, sensitize us to the power of knowing you as one and three. Sensitize us to the world and its mysteries of ones and threes and manys. God, locate in us the places where we're a little bit too much one and not enough the many, and too much the many and not enough the one. Give us grace for those who need it. Let us know and call out the good when it needs to be known and called out. In your grace and in your holiness, you have completed us and made us whole in your Son. In his name we pray, amen.